Well, today we're continuing in our message series, Jesus, Our Healer. And we're going to be looking at an aspect of healing that is ignored by many today. And so my topic today is the question, are, are demons involved in sickness? Now, the topic of demons is rarely addressed in churches today. You just don't hear a lot of sermon titles uh, addressing the demonic. But at Life Church, we base our teachings on the Word of God. If it's in God's Word, it's there for a reason, and we need to, to pay attention to it. We need to understand what the Bible has to say about it. Now, in this message series that we've been in for a couple Sundays now, we've seen that Jesus' ministry involved two major aspects. First of all, he taught and preached the Word of God. And secondly, he healed people. Let's look at Peter's summary of Jesus' ministry in Acts 10.38. Now, the verses that we're going to be looking at today are written out in a white page in the middle of your bulletin. You might want to pull that out along with the sermon outline. On the back of that page is study questions that you can uh, use in your own study time to try to answer those. They've got additional verses that relate to the topic, and we encourage you to do that. The life groups, as they meet, also use those study guides as a basis for the discussion at the meetings. And so we encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so this verse, again, indicates that Jesus healed people and the people he healed were in one way or another under the power of Satan, under the power of the devil. They were oppressed. And so when Jesus healed the sick person, he set them free from their sickness, from their illness. Now, why isn't Satan and the demonic talked about more in, in, in life or in churches? It's because most people do not believe in Satan anymore. A recent survey by George Barna, who is a well-known Christian uh, pollster, indicated that only 34% of people in America, who claim to be Christians believe that Satan is real. The vast majority of people believe that Satan is simply a symbol of evil. He's not a real uh, spiritual being. But the Bible takes Satan very seriously. In the New Testament, there are over 194 references to Satan or demons. It's not just a verse or two here or there. You can't read through the Gospels without seeing Jesus addressing the demonic. I did another little search, and there are 204 references to angels in the New Testament. So there's just about as many references to the devil and the demonic as there are to angels. Just about 200 in both cases. And so it's not a minor topic in the Bible. Now, we need to be careful to present a balanced view to this. The Christian writer C.S. Lewis, in the classic Screwtape Letters, wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. That's what he called them. One, the first error, is to disbelieve in their existence. And the second is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The Bible wants us to take a balanced view. The Bible takes a balanced view, and we must as well. As we see, most people disbelieve in their existence, you know, except in horror movies. And there are a few people 
He'll become obsessed with the topic, but neither is correct. We need to take a balanced view, and that's what we're going to try to begin to do today. Now, what are demons? A little background. Demons are fallen angels. They once were angels that lived by God. We can't get into all the scriptures here, but at one time in the ancient past, they sinned and rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. And so demons are fallen angels. And Satan, contrary to popular belief, you don't have God up here and Satan as his equal. God is uncreated. Satan is one of those created fallen angels. He just happens to be the ruler over all the other ones. And so he's not on the same level as God, not even close to it. Satan is basically also a fallen angel, a high-level demonic power. Demons in the Bible are also referred to as evil or unclean spirits. That's a synonymous term. As spirits, demons do not have bodies. They're spirit beings, but they have a desire to influence, oppress, and possess people or even animals. In the Bible, the Greek word that's usually translated demon-possessed is the word daimonitsamai. And so most people assume that you either are possessed or you're not because of the English translation demon-possessed. But a better translation of the word would be demonized. People can be demonized and that indicates a continuum of influence from just being a little bit influenced all the way to being fully possessed. Now the story we're going to look at today is one of full-blown possession. In fact, it's, it's the most possessed person that maybe has ever existed. And Jesus set him free. And so this is way at one end of the continuum because this person was possessed not just with one, but with thousands of demons. But as we read many other, uh, many other accounts in the scripture, we see Jesus dealing with different types of demonic uh, influences in people's lives. We see many different degrees of demonic influence and Jesus healed them all. And we also see other people other than Jesus healing people under demonic influences. We believe that uh, believers cannot be completely possessed by Satan, obviously they're completely possessed by Satan. How could they be believers with the Holy Spirit living in them? But they can certainly be oppressed and influenced in many ways. Now in this series, we're kind of going through the book of Matthew. But Matthew's account of this incident in Jesus' ministry is, is rather brief. And so we're going to look at a parallel passage this morning in Mark to see a more detailed account of Jesus' encounter with the demonic the first thing we want to learn from this passage, and whenever we look at a passage, we want to discern principles that will help us in our life today. We're not just looking to understand and regurgitate ancient stories from the Bible. We want it to apply to our lives today. We need to discern the effects of demons. Our story begins in Mark 5, verse 2. It says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. There's a lot of different language used. Uh, in this case, it doesn't say the man was demon-possessed. He says he, he had an evil spirit. And these spirits are called evil because it has to do with their purpose. The purpose of demons is the same as the purpose of their master, Satan himself. Their purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. There's absolutely nothing good about them. 
They want to steal, kill, and destroy from the people they influence, and they want to use the people they influence to steal and kill and destroy and harm other people. They're evil through and through. They're incredibly wicked. They're incredibly destructive. There's absolutely nothing good about them. And demons attempt to disrupt relationships. It says about this man, he lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And so this man lived as an outcast in society. He didn't live with other people, although some accounts may indicate there was another demonized man with him living in the tombs. But he did not live in normal society. He had no relationships with other people. He didn't have a relationship with his family, as we'll find later on in the story. He did have a family, but he had no relationships with them. And he lived in the tombs. Demons have a natural affinity for death, for dying, rather than with life and the living. And so, as these demons had come into this man, he separated himself from normal relationships with other people. Demons also give supernatural power. It said this man had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. <clears throat> no one was strong enough to subdue him. I was thinking, you know, why did people want to chain this man up? He was probably a pretty scary guy. And they wanted to make sure he didn't hurt anybody else. But he was so strong, the demons gave him so much supernatural physical power that he was able to snap any bondage that they put on him. This was not a good power. This was an evil power. But it is true that demonic forces can give people extraordinary powers. That's why some people get involved in the occult. To gain some type of supernatural power. We read another account in the book of Acts where someone who was possessed with a demon had the power to tell fortunes or to look into the future. So there is an actual power there, but it is a deadly destructive power. Demons also cause self-harm. <clears throat> says verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And so the demons were tormenting this man. And they were causing him to hurt himself by cutting himself with the stones that he found among the tombs. Demons today do the same things. They cause people to hurt themselves. They cause people to hurt themselves with drugs, with alcohol. You know, isn't it a rage, I believe? I don't know much about it from personal experience, but people cutting themselves today, hurting themselves. And of course, what is the ultimate self-harm? It's suicide. And the demonic is present there as well. And so the desire of demons is to torment and to destroy. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how did this man become demonized? <clears throat> When did the demons enter into this man? How did he enter into such a state? And the Bible doesn't give us the answer in this case. The basic principle taught in Scripture is that sin opens a doorway to Satan and his demons. That provides the doorway. Doorways that open people up to demonization today and even back then are things like drugs, alcohol, occult involvement, many types of Addictive and habitual sins will open you up to the demonic. Uh, even some cases of abuse where you're abused when 
uh, children are sexually abused at an early age. It kind of fragments their psyche and opens them up to demonic influence. Now, in our society, how would we have diagnosed this man? I take him to the doctor and he says, yes, demon-possessed. Would that have happened? Or no. I say, this guy is mentally ill. Is he not? He, there's something wrong in his mind, and we need to put him in a psychiatric ward, or if he's hurt somebody, we'll put him in prison and give him some drugs to calm him down so he isn't a danger to anybody else to reduce his violent tendencies. Now, the root cause of this man's problem, though the Bible tells us, was the demonic. And I'm sure that had an impact on his mind and all kinds of other parts of him. But he needed to be healed in a supernatural way in order to be totally set free. And that's what Jesus did. He came to set the oppressed free, and as we'll see, he set this man free. And so we understand some of the things that demons do to people. They did back then, and they still do today. You know, if you doubt the demonic today, all you have to do is read your newspaper and see some of the hideous things that people do. And when you think, how could a sane person do that? Most likely, the demonic was involved. But Jesus wants to deliver the oppressed people. We don't know how long this man had been tormented by the demons, but probably had been a long time. Now, generally speaking, when somebody is healed by Jesus in the Gospels, we see that the demonized person was brought to Jesus by friends. Or in some way, Jesus came into an encounter with him. They really are able to come of their own volition. And so people who are demonized need to be brought to Jesus. Now in this case, they, he, this man wasn't brought to Jesus. Jesus actually came to him. And as Jesus got out of the boat, apparently in the vicinity of this graveyard where all these tombs were, it says in verse 6, when he, speaking of this man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want? With me, Jesus, son of the most high God, swear to me that you won't torture me. Now, in this case, it's a little difficult to, to fully understand which of the actions were really the man saying and doing things and which were the demons working and speaking through him. But it appears that the man knelt before Jesus as Jesus came close to him, either in worship or in at least an acknowledgement of Jesus' power. Now, when people are greatly demonized or possessed as this man was, the demons can speak through them. And that's what began to happen here. The demons knew who Jesus was, and he, they knew that he had the ultimate power to send them to torment in hell. And they were afraid of that. They didn't want to go to the place of torment. But the good news is that Jesus is more powerful than any demon or set of demons. He's the only one who can set a demonized person free. And God wants us to pray for freedom in Jesus' name. Now in verse 8 and 9, Jesus said to him, it said, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And so Jesus had been commanding the evil spirit or spirits to come out of the man. But they hadn't immediately come out. In fact, they were talking to Jesus. They were debating with him. Jesus then asked for the spirit's name. The spirit replied that his name was Legion. And so we begin to understand now that there were many demons influencing this man, many demons possessing him. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers. And as we'll see, there's another confirmation that there were many, many demons, certainly thousands of demons in this man. This was an extreme case. Verse 10, And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. It's hard to tell. You see, it's the man is speaking, but it's them. It's a, he's a very confused. Everything is confused in such a person. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. <clears throat> the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so this was an extended deliverance. Apparently Jesus had been commanding them for some time. They didn't come out and he got into a discussion with them. And finally uh, they were cast out of this man. Demons don't have bodies. They're spirits, remember we said. But they want to possess bodies. They have this desire to influence, to possess people. Preferably. Or second best an animal. And here say, well, we've got to get out of this man at least... Let us go into the pigs. And I imagine there was at least one demon per pig. That's in my mathematical mind. And uh, so there was at least 2,000 here. And uh, the legion was six. So it was somewhere in there. <clears throat> or maybe each demon would have three demons. Each pig would have three demons. And that would work out mathematically, right? Three times 2,000. Okay. But rather than being able to possess those pigs in... A pig herd running amok among the countryside, which is what the demons wanted to do. They ran off a cliff and jumped into the lake and they were all drowned. And so the demons were disembodied once again. They really didn't get the answer. People wanted wondered, why did Jesus do what the demons want? Well, he really didn't do what the demons want. He got the man freed and the demons were cast out and they couldn't even stay in the pigs. Demonized man was set free. So let's come back to the question we're looking at today. Are demons involved in sickness? Well, in today's account, we would have characterized this man as mentally ill. Were demons involved? Yes. Definitely were involved in this case. In the accounts of healing in the scripture, we see demonic involvement clearly in some cases, and in others, there's absolutely no mention of it. And so I think the answer to the question is a definitive sometimes. Again, we have these errors, you know, in the church today. Someone say, there's a demon behind everything. No. There's a demon behind nothing. No. It's sometimes. And you see that in Scripture. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. How do we know if there's demonic involvement in sickness or not? Well, we need to ask God for discernment. Only He knows the root cause of a sickness. There's actually a gift of the Spirit called discerning or distinguishing of spirits. 
And God gives people, certain people the ability to be able to distinguish what is going on and be able to help. Now, I would say in the American church today, our error is not thinking demons are everywhere. It doesn't seem to be very prevalent. We just ignore the whole topic for the most part. But if the Bible speaks about it, we need to be aware of it. We're going to talk about more what we can do as we're aware of it as we go on in the message. But we've seen the signs of demonic involvement today. And when we see those signs today in people or in situations, we need to have our antennas up that perhaps something more than just what we see with our eyes is involved. Maybe there's an evil power involved there. And when we suspect that, when we pray for the person, we pray for freedom from this demonic influence or oppression. Now you can do this either from distance when you're praying for somebody and you know, you know somebody who's having difficulties, you pray for them. Or you can do it when you're in person with them. In the course of difficult cases, uh, people can be brought to church and the leaders of the church can pray for them as well. At the end of every service, we'll mention that in a minute, we have an opportunity for prayer down front and we encourage people to come themselves. If they're dealing with issues of any kind, healing, uh, breaking of habits, difficult situations, or you can bring someone to church that is having a difficulty and we'll pray for them as well. When people are freed from demonic influence, when they are healed we want to give God the glory. Now, in this case, we're looking at today, there was an immediate, miraculous result for this man. And God should get the glory when he brings healing. It says in verse 15, when they, speaking of people, came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, in this particular account, we didn't see what is expressed in another account, but this demoniac was running around the graveyard naked. Okay, it says that in other accounts, and here it mentions that he was dressed. What means before, he wasn't dressed. Another symptom of demonic activity, people without clothes. That's a terrible scourge today, isn't it? With the internet, pornography is a scourge around the world. It's a sign of demonic activity. Now the man was completely healed. It says he was dressed. He was in his right mind. He was clothed. And the change was so miraculous that the people were afraid. It's like, wow. I mean, it was such a dramatic change for this man that people couldn't believe what had gone on. And probably some of those people were the Owners of the pigs. And you think they were happy campers. 2,000 pigs was worth a lot of money. Jesus, get out of here. The pig farmers were not happy. But the man was set free. And that's what God is more interested in healing people than in the pigs. So we give God the glory for restoring relationships. The man wanted to go along with Jesus. He said, Jesus, I want to go with you. You've done so much for me. You've transformed my life. But it says in verse 19, Jesus did not let him 
but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had, had mercy on you. And so Jesus directs the man to go home and restore his relationship with his family. So here this crazy man in the tombstones possessed with demons had a family. And he was to go back to this family. The relationship with his family was to be restored and he was to tell them about Jesus so that they could believe in Jesus as well as he had. Can you imagine how his family reacted when he showed up at the door? Knock, knock, knock. Who's there? I don't know what his name was. Joe! What's happened to you? Well, and then he told them what Jesus had done for him. How Jesus had changed his life. And so God restored not only the man, he restored the man's relationship with his family. And we give God the glory by telling others as well. Not only did the man tell his family what Jesus had done for him, but it says the man went away in verse 20 and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And so he went around to the whole region and began to tell people, look what God has done for me. I was out of my mind. I was possessed with demons and Jesus has changed my life. It was an amazing story. And God received all the glory for what he had done. Now the deliverance of this man was instantaneous. It was miraculous. But we've talked about in our series so far, there are healings that are instantaneous and miraculous and there are healings that take place gradually over time. And the same is true of deliverances from demonic oppression. In this case, it was dramatic, a one-time thing, night and day uh, type of situation. But in other cases, deliverance can be a gradual process. And in these type of cases, there can be a complex intertwining of medical conditions, mental conditions, demonic influence that is very complex. And only God can sort it out. So there are times, along with prayer, that we need biblical counseling, Christian counselors. We also may need medical care as well. And so all of those are gifts and blessings of God to bring about healing. And we can't ignore any aspect. Now it's vital for a person recovering from demonic influence or breaking addictive habits which are often intertwined to have a support network, uh, including being part of a church family, including being part of a small group that they have a accountability in and with. In another teaching of Jesus, he taught a lot about the demonic. He says that when a demon is cast out of a person, it leaves a vacuum, it leaves an empty space. And that space needs to be filled with God's spirit or else, he says, this demon that went out will get some of his demon buddies and they will come back in and the last state of the man will be worse than he was before. And so we all know relapse is something that we need to guard against and the same is true in the demonic. But if we follow God's guidance in, our, in his word through prayer, and as God heals people, they're filled with the Spirit and they continue to follow God. They can be set free. They continue to walk in freedom and God can receive the glory. 
So today we've looked at the question, are demons involved in sickness? And we see that the Bible answer is sometimes, uh, not always. God desires for us to pray that we'd be able to discern the causes so that we can minister to people. Just as Jesus' ministry set the oppressed free, so Jesus wants the church today and believers today to be involved in setting people free from the things that, that bind them, from demonic influences that influence them. People are set free from demonic oppression and influence, not through us saying the exact words or some formula or, you know, some specific magical incantation or nothing like that at all. It's simply through faith in Jesus' name, praying in Jesus' name. And the end result, God gets the glory. And as we'll see when the stories of what God has done in people's lives are spread, it draws more people to Jesus. Now, the most important deliverance is a spiritual deliverance in which Jesus forgives our sins and we are set free from sin and he comes to live in us through his Holy Spirit. And of course, people that are set free from demonic uh, powers need to become believers. They need to give their hearts to Jesus Christ and we want to give people an opportunity today. Every person at one point or another in their life has sinned. God wants us to admit that we've sinned, to believe in Jesus, that he came to forgive our sins, and to commit our lives to following him. And so I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And this morning, if you're not sure you're a believer, if you're not sure that you're a Christian, or perhaps you feel like you were, but you've drifted away from God. And today God is speaking to you and he wants, he's brought you here today because he wants you to draw closer to him. I'd encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. Pray something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've lived my own way in life. But I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and took my sins upon himself that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I commit myself to living your way. To following your commands. To following your direction for my life. I commit or recommit my life to you. In Jesus' name. And for those of us who are believers this morning, let's pray that God would take this lesson and not have it just be a story of ancient history, but that he would use us, first of all, that we might be set completely free and that he'd use us to set other people free as well. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to set people free, to have people live in total freedom, to set us free from sin, to set us free from Satan, to set us free from demonic influence and involvement and to bring wholeness and healing into our lives. Help us to learn today from this story about the realities of the enemy that we face, who is very real, very destructive, and very deadly. Increase our discernment, God, so that we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes and of what's going on in people's lives around us. Use each one of us in our church to set people free from all levels of bondage to demonic powers. We pray that addictions would be broken, that 
sicknesses would be healed through the power of Jesus' name. We pray that you would use us, God. And we promise to give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.